you can't be great without having peace and without going on a healing journey, in my mind. You can accomplish a lot. You can achieve a lot. You can get a lot of awards and make a lot of money. But I feel like if you feel like you don't or still aren't enough, then you're not. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. I don't know about you, but when around 3 p.m. hits, I find myself craving the right refreshment to get me through that mid-afternoon slump. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea is full-flavored sweet tea, but without the sugar and the calories. It might take several bottles for you to believe that a delicious sweet tea can really have zero sugar and zero calories. But you know what they say, life is full of surprises. Or in this case, full of flavor. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea. Try it to believe it. For 20% off your next 12-pack, head to Amazon and use promo code 20PureLeaf. That's promo code 20PureLeaf for 20% off. We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone if you only had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Whether you're searching for a home to buy or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. You can favorite homes, share listings with others, and even schedule tours with a local Redfin agent, all in the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. They know how to help you win the right home at the right price. So download the Redfin app to get started today. What do you want to get out of this because you I, have... whoever's listening, I want them to be to be inspired and impacted in a positive way to to take action in whatever it is in their life that they need support with, and so that's my intention. Support the people. They the people listen. They love you more. That's what I want out of this. So Wait, they, say that again. The people that listen to this, they love you more. Me? Yes. That's your intention. Yes, because that... then they'll then they then then it means you did a great job of getting a lot out of this interview for them. So they're going to love you more and want to share about you more. That's my intention. Lewis, that was a mic drop moment. <laughs> and I haven't even asked you. a, a, a cut. So, so first of all, I got to give everybody a takeaway. Cause did you hear that? Like we're talking about your, we're talking about everything, your life story, like so much wisdom mm -hmm. that you have to give to the world. And I want to make sure everybody just picked up on something that he walked in here, not to shine a light, on his book and how it would help you, but to actually shine the light back on me mm -hmm. and to have me be successful. That's kind of what I've been doing for 10 years, you know, with, with my show is just putting the spotlight on others. And I've found that when I'm shining on other people, it reflects back in positive ways. Sometimes it's unexpected, but just for your show specifically, I think it's amazing how you've launched this show and it's served so many people so that's why when you asked me what i want out of this i was like well if you do a great job 
and making great content in this episode, then people are going to love you more. And they're going to want to share more and help you build your show bigger. So that's my intention. Awesome. Okay. Well, my intention, <laughs> my intention, because I always have like a very specific intention with every show, was to shine the brightest light I possibly could on you. Because you have spent so much of your success and time and energy lifting other people up. And you remind me in many ways of somebody I love more than anybody else in the world. And that's my husband, Chris. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I love about you is you're this big, masculine, super successful, professional athlete dude. You are also becoming a professional like tango dancer. Salsa, yeah, yeah. Salsa, okay, tango, <laughs> salsa. I knew it was like ended Latin, in, a, in a vowel. Latin dancer. Latin dancing. <laughs> His hips don't lie, people. Yep. And um, yet there's this incredible, quiet, softness, strength, and vulnerability to you. And you often say a lot without saying much. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Appreciate it. Do you see that, guys? He's just staring at me right now with his <laughs> piercing eyes. Like, I am saying a lot at you, Mel. So well, let I think it's interesting that you say that because... I didn't feel like I had a lot to say when I was growing up because I felt very insecure in school. So I was always in the bottom of my grade all the way through middle school, high school. And then it took me seven years to finish college and graduate. And I always had a tutor every semester. And in middle school, high school, I would be in the special needs classes. And a lot of times during recess, I would have to do extra tutoring. Oh. So when other kids were playing or having fun, or I'd have to do a short lunch break and then go right into reading class. Because in eighth grade, I had a second grade reading level. So I just, Wait, hold I'll, on. In eighth grade? Eighth grade, they started testing me with everything. I went to a new school. And they essentially told my parents, like, we have to either hold him back or we need to get him tutors to get him caught up because he has a second grade reading level. So it was just very challenging for me to read a page of any book and comprehend it. It was just, it would take a long time to read it. And then by the time I'd finish it, it was almost like it was so long that I don't remember what I was reading that I'd have to go back and read the page over and over again. So I would get through a couple pages in what would seem like 30 to 45 minutes and, and kind of give up. My attention span would be short then. I would just be tired and, and like I don't have the focus. That's why I started using my energy in sports. And when I <clears throat> when I'd asked to, to speak aloud in class, specifically in high school, I just felt insecure because I knew I wasn't the smartest. I knew mm. I was always in the bottom of my class because they used to rank us on our grade cards. So I would always be in the bottom four. And a lot of times I cheated my way through <laughs> quizzes and tests and homework to just pass to stay like not in the bottom one, right? Yeah. And so we would get the grade cards, I don't know, every semester or whenever it was, every quarter. And I'd always see in the bottom four all through high school. So I just felt very unsure of myself academically. And so when they would ask to speak aloud, I just would always try to skip or like go to the restroom. And I know that, that it was going to come to me. I try to get out of actually speaking in front of people because hmm. I always thought people were making fun of me or laughing at me. And maybe they were sometimes or they weren't, but that was also my interpretation of not believing in myself academically. Yeah. And so when I got into kind of like the business world and life of just being out there after sports, I didn't have the confidence to speak in front of people what I thought. And so I just said, I'm going to ask people questions. So that was in my 20s. I would be in rooms of like 
networking events and I started going to trade shows and conferences from like 25 to 30. And I was traveling around the country going to all these big kind of industry events to learn and network and, and meet people. And so often people would say, you're like the most interesting guy here. And I never said anything except for asked questions and would follow up. And I think when, when, when you really are interested in other people, you become more interesting. Mm -hmm. And so I've, I kind of took that and ran with it for the last 10 years of my own show. I was just like, I'm going to try to be as interested in others and good things come back. Well, they certainly have. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about a hundred million views every month on your YouTube channel, which is impacting and empowering people around the world or the 11 million plus people that follow you online, the 500 million downloads, I'd say that's not bad for the bottom four of right. your you know, <laughs> right, middle right, right. school. And, and what, what's one of the reasons why I love your story, mm -hmm. because it's not like you were this heavy hitter in business, sold your company, mm -hmm. and now you're going to go out and tell everybody the secrets. You had to figure out what greatness meant for you, and you had to figure mm -hmm. out how to be successful in a world that was telling you that you weren't. And I want to go back to really where your newest, I'm sure, New York Times bestseller uh, starts, The Greatness Mindset. And it starts on the couch. Mm -hmm. And in order to bring as many people as possible into the tent in this conversation that we're going to have, would you just put us at the scene <laughs> of Lewis on the couch, uh -huh. what your life looked like, looked like, how old you were, what was going on? This was uh, September 2007. I just had surgery on my wrist, so you can kind of see the scar here still. And they took a bone out of my hip, put it in my wrist. So I was in a cast from my shoulder to my fingers. I couldn't use my thumb. I was kind of locked in this position. For locked six... in like a cactus position? In like the this. In the yeah, cactus? Yeah. You know the, the, the movie Rookie of the Year? This like baseball kid player who has a broken arm and then gets the cast off and it's like super strength. It was kind of in this position, like an L shape like this. Um, I can so move now, it can down. I ask you a question? Yeah. So when you have your hand locked in a cast mm -hmm. in a ca cactus arm yes. position, do your finger are they numb all day? Your fingers? Well, like, I can happens? move. I can move it down. Okay. I can move. I can move it here and like here. Okay. You know, you just... but I couldn't straighten my arm. Okay. And so there's this kind of big bulky thing here, and it also just smells really bad. You know, I don't know if you've ever. Because it's lifting on. your armpit up. I it just smells really that. bad, and it just gets dirty under there, and you're sweaty, and it's it's just not nice. Yeah. And so um, during that time, it's. I, that's the end of August, so September, um, November, December, I'm on my sister's couch right before Christmas, 2007, going into 2008. And I'm I'm in denial at this time because I'm thinking my body's going to heal. I'm going to go back and play football. Like, this thing's going to come off. So you've graduated weeks. from college. I hadn't graduated yet. I left to go play arena football. I tried to make the NFL, okay. didn't make it, so I played – an arena football uh, for a season to try to get more practice and then go to the NFL. Okay. In my rookie season, I get injured. I dive for a football into the wall. It's indoor football. So imagine a hockey rink football. That's what it was. So I dove, I, I snapped my wrist like in the wall. That was the second game of the season. So 14 more games I played with a broken wrist. I taped it up every game because I was like, I don't want to stop and get surgery now. I want to play. Right. I want to wait a whole other year to get game film to try to make my dreams come true in the Got NFL. It. Okay. So I just played through the pain. And at the end, the, the surgeon was like, you probably should have done this before. 
because every catch, every block, it was just like grinding the bone and, and disintegrating the bone in my wrist. There's a bunch of little bones in the wrist. One of them was just kind of like disintegrating. And so that's why he said we have to take a bone out of your hip. And I didn't know it would be the almost more painful from the hip because there's no easy way to like sliver a little piece of bone out of body. They take like a sledgehammer and they just go away on your hip. Oh. So my whole body was black and blue from my armpit down to my knees on the side. 20 staples. I couldn't walk, just kind of bent over for six weeks. That hurt more than the wrist surgery. So that was a period of just healing and recovery physically before the Christmas time happened in 2008. Now I got my family. How old were you? I was 20, probably 23 at that time. Okay. I think going into 24 in that March coming up. And so this time I'm in the denial phase. I'm like, I'm going to heal. I'm going to be fine. I'm, I'm, my ego is so big that I'm like, I feel like I'm a superhuman. Okay. So I'm like, nothing can hurt me mentality. Like whatever, I can take the pain. Let's tape it up and put me back out there. Wait, is that not the greatness mindset? No, it's Nothing not, can hurt no. me. I can no, take the pain? No, okay. that's not it. Now that's, you got me. I'm hooked. That's well, the, I, I want to know what this is. That's the ego mindset. Okay. Which gets certain results, but left you, leaves you feeling very alone inside in a lot of ways. So I, I get... Um, that, so I'm in denial. And then every six weeks, I do a checkup with a doctor, thinking they're going to take this off, I'm going to be fine. Right. And they keep saying, another six weeks, another six weeks, another six weeks. What was supposed to be three months turns into six months with a cast on. So I'm not able to straighten my arm for six months. Wow. And so by the time I actually get it off, I can't straighten my arm. Uh, the, the, the tendons, the muscle, like it won't straighten all the way without a lot of pain in my elbow. So it takes about a year and a half just to like rehab my arm to be able to straighten this, let alone learn how to like use my wrist and function fully. So I went through a phase of like sadness, denial, depression, I don't know about depression, but it was just like extreme sadness. Of, yeah. Okay, this identity that I had, I may not be able to do again. And it, and it was kind of dwindling every day I would try to strengthen my arm and realize I don't have the strength anymore. So when I, when I originally thought like I am Gotta be a professional athlete. Yeah, I'm like, nothing can hurt me. I realized quickly, oh, things can hurt me. And they can take away from my my dreams mm. in certain areas. Mm. So it was a period of, uh, and right before this, my dad gets in an accident where he has a traumatic brain injury from a car accident. A car comes on top of his car on the road, goes through the windshield, and the bumper hits him in his head and splits his head open. They have to airlift him out of the car. They have to cut the car open, airlift him. He's in a coma for three months. This happens a year before I get injured. So for me, my dad had woken up after months in a, in a coma in a hospital. Mm -hmm. He was physically alive, but emotionally dead. Wow. So he wasn't able to really communicate. He, he just passed last year after 17 years, but it was... You mean 17, 17 years, years after the accident? After 17 years after the accident, he just passed last year. But he had, it was like he, he it's like he was gone. Mm. It's like you, How did that he was physically you? there, but he wasn't my dad anymore. He was my dad, but I couldn't have a conversation with him because, I mean, you could speak to him, but I'd see him and he'd say, what's your name again? Didn't you, what sport did you used to play? Where'd you go to school again? That was the conversation every time I'd visit my dad. And he was at every football game. He was my biggest fan. And he, he loved to see me succeed. So it was, it was 
in some ways, if that didn't happen, if he didn't go through that near-death experience, I would not be where I'm at because I always had a backup plan with him. He had an insurance business that he was thriving in after 30 mm. years. He struggled to get to a certain level and finally started to make money. Then he had this accident. Mm. And he was always like, you can go chase your dream, and if you ever want to come work with me, you can come work with me. Mm. And you can take over the business one day if you want to, and I'll train you up. So it was kind of always like a backup plan. He had to sell his business right after this accident within the year because um, he wasn't able to work anymore. He wasn't able to really function in that way anymore. Yeah. And... In a sense, that was the greatest thing that happened to me, like essentially losing my dad emotionally, losing the backup plan, because I never thought I would ever make money on my own or be an entrepreneur or do anything that I'm doing. But that was a catalyst, along with my accident, my injury, into saying, okay, I want to make something of myself and try this. So I'm on my sister's couch for a year and a half in this phase of sadness about my dad, sadness about my identity, my injury. It's also 2008 was like a it kind of felt like 2020 with the economic crisis. Right, right. And so I'm, I don't have a college degree yet. I'm trying to figure out how to get my degree and finish it while I get a job. But no one's hiring people without degrees at that time. So it was just kind of like, what am I doing in this world? Why are these things happening? Yeah. One of those phases. Yeah. And I think I just want to say that there's a lot of times in life where things happen and you can feel like that. Mm -hmm. Whether your marriage didn't work out and you never expected to be divorced or you go all in on a business mm -hmm. and it goes bankrupt or you end up struggling with an addiction after surgery and painkillers. And so I think this moment is really important for us to unpack. And so I want to have you read mm -hmm. a part of your book. Okay. So that highlighted section, I'd love for you to read because it takes us right back to the moment of what you were feeling when you were on that couch. And I want you to read it because it's so easy, Lewis, for everybody to see how unbelievably successful you are and not realize that you started in the exact same place that so many people listening mm. are in right now. Mm. I felt like all, all I could do during those dark days was flip through TV reruns re and infomercials with the remote as I felt my chance at greatness not s just slipping away, but sprinting as fast as it could go. I didn't know what to think, how to feel, or how to process my own emotions. And on top of that, I hadn't even finished college at the time. I was financially, physically, emotionally, and spiritually broken. I wondered what to do next, and from my perspective... I was now very much alone, but I knew this couldn't be how the story of my life went. I knew there had to be more to my story. There had to be greatness inside of me, but I didn't know where or how to get started. Yet deep down, I knew I would eventually figure it all out. So obviously <clears throat> your book is a roadmap to that, but can you just talk to somebody who's like, yeah, like, how do you tap into that knowing that you are meant for greatness, especially when the hit the fan and your life feels like a disaster? Mm -hmm. Like, what would you say to somebody that's listening right now that just feels as lost as Lewis circa 2008 was? <clears throat> I'm, I'm very grateful that I had a voice inside of me that 
was keeping me going. And a lot of times when I was in elementary school, I used to say I wish I was dead a lot. I would get in trouble, get sent to the principal's office, and I'd say, I wish I was dead, I wish I were dead, I wish I were dead. And, and I don't know if anyone can relate to that feeling. I didn't, never felt suicidal, like I actually was going to do it, but I remember saying, essentially, why am I here? Am I enough? Am I lovable? Will I ever matter? That was like a thing that was just a constant theme inside of me. But there was a voice that was also like, just keep going, you know? It was like, you got this, just keep going. So I'm really grateful that I was able to hear that voice, even though I was so distracted and the the loudness of insecurity was crippling my mind. Mm. It was so loud and so overwhelming that it felt like I was drowning emotionally. And so if someone feels that way now, what I would say is two things. Number one, like hold on to whatever voice that says, even if it's like a second a day, that's like, keep going, like hold on to that voice. Cause that is the thing that has allowed me to overcome so much. And I wish I would have learned sooner what I talk about in the book, which is allowing myself to heal all the memories and pain from the past. Hmm. And it really wasn't until I started that process 10 years ago of healing past memories where things started to unlock, where I started to feel free internally and then externally, the things that I was accumulating or creating or developing was more meaningful because before 30, I was successful, I was accomplishing, accumulating, attracting, but it didn't feel enough because I didn't feel enough. Mm. I didn't feel like I was worthy of receiving. I didn't feel like I was deserving of love because I didn't accept me. And it really wasn't until the last two years when I went even deeper into healing that I was like, I'm going to go back into every painful memory of my past and create a new meaning from those memories. And I'm going to create a loving relationship with any shame or guilt or insecurity that I once had and just have a new relationship with it. It doesn't mean it wasn't painful. It doesn't mean I wish things didn't happen. It doesn't mean I didn't do things I'm ashamed of but creating a new relationship with it so it doesn't hurt me today. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host when you get a new car or a new home your first reaction might be to say things like oh yeah or i can't believe it or booyah but what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need like a good neighbor state farm is there state farm is there with the coverage you need for your car your home and even boats motorcycles rvs and other things that matter to you with a state farm agent you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need with so many coverage options it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you and when you need ways to get help state farm gives you options there too, in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 
When you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. Like when you're trying to buy tickets for the best seat at your favorite team's big game or when you're hiring for your business and you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. With ZipRecruiter, you can find qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com greatness. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I believe finding the right team member is one of the most important steps in setting up my company for success. We like to ensure our new hires will be a good fit before they're even on the team. So I am grateful that I have ZipRecruiter's help when we want to grow the team fast. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And those two things of listening to the kind of the voice inside of me telling me to keep going and being on a journey of healing has given me such a sense of emotional freedom and peace that I've never felt in my life. And it allows me to not abandon myself Hmm. anymore. And I think for many years, I would abandon myself to fit in, to belong, to be accepted. And the more I would do that, I would feel shameful because I was doing things that I knew weren't in alignment with who I was or my highest self was. And so once I started to heal, I could stop abandoning myself, create barriers or boundaries in my emotions or in my life Mm -hmm. so that I could stay in peace and be okay with disturbing things around me um, by standing my ground in certain situations. Mm -hmm. And that has been the biggest gift I've given myself because it has allowed me, someone was asking me on the phone when I was driving here, he was like, how did this book come about? I go, I had the idea for it for years, but I didn't have inner peace. I couldn't, I couldn't, I didn't have the energy to create it. And once I got clear on my inner peace, like this just came out and I'm already like just creating so much cause I have clarity. And it wasn't until I was able to get full clarity and ownership of accepting who I am, where I was able to start doing these things authentically. So it's been a journey. So there is so much to unpack in what you just said, and I'm so happy you went deep in the beginning Mm -hmm. because it's been a journey from being the 23-year-old lost former professional Mm -hmm. football person to really realizing that chasing success got you so far, Mm -hmm. but you had to fix what felt broken on the inside. Yeah, and you know, as a... Growing up, I wanted success. The The thought of success was like the answer, mm-hmm. right? And that was maybe, I don't know why that came about, but it was always about how to be successful. Yep. And I achieved success for my, on my terms, but I didn't feel fulfilled. Yep. And I didn't feel like it was enough. So then I would have to achieve more and more and more to fill something up where I didn't feel enough. And I, and I think there's a difference between success and greatness where success is more selfish about me and greatness is about we. It's going after your goals and dreams, but making it about impacting others in the process and them being celebrated and them accomplishing as well or improving as well. And it's much more rewarding that way. So I feel like I want to create more, but I'm also happy with where I'm at. And it's a sense of peace. It's like, yes, I'm always gonna be striving for more 
at least in this season of life, maybe when I'm 90, I'm just like, okay, I don't want more. I want less. And that'll be a different season. But for now, I want more. And I'm also just peaceful with where I am because I accept who I am. And I didn't know that that was the game, accepting yourself. It's accepting, but also saying you still get to improve. You still get to grow. You still get to transform. But also accepting and loving where you're at. Okay, so let me unpack this a little bit because I think there's so much wisdom that you just drop like boop, 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 boop. And I also want to say something. If you're sitting here going, but, 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 hold on a second. I don't even know how we went from 23-year-old broke, like on the sister's couch, lost for a year and a half, dad having this, to now all of a sudden this crazy successful business and podcast and millions of, like, how did he do that? And wait a minute, Lewis House, are you telling me this inner piece? Like, I need to pay my bills. Like, don't be talking to me about mm -hmm. that. And so I want to say a couple things. Yes, we will get to the story of how he went from the couch to building what he built. But there's something much bigger in terms of the master class that is being offered to you in this mm -hmm. moment, where Lewis is going to save you the almost 13 years, was it? How long was mm -hmm. it? Tw two decades or yeah. whatever of pain that he put himself through mm -hmm. to get to the wisdom and the greatness that he has unlocked in himself. Because I've known Lewis for five years. He is a different human being. A different human being than even just a year ago. And I think that it is possible, and Lewis will tell you this, to be a competitive and to compete at the highest levels, which he mm -hmm. does. Yeah, I still like to win. Oh, yes. But it's a win-win, you know? Yes. It's, it's a different type of win. And to be a calm, mm -hmm. cool, and confident person mm -hmm. because you have peace with yourself yeah. as you are doing those things. And even just to comment on what you said about paying bills, I don't think you can have financial peace unless you have inner peace because there's so many people that you know that have lots of money who are overly stressed. Right. And more money doesn't always solve every problem. Mm -hmm. It solves lots of problems, yep. but it doesn't always solve the problem of accepting and loving yourself. That's true. And I'm going to add something to that. Because both Lewis and I have been in moments of our life, and ironically, it was during 2007 and 2008, where neither one of us were able to buy groceries. Mm -hmm. We did not have any savings. We did not have any income. We were relying on other people to help us get through. And the stress that you feel when you cannot pay for your basic needs is a toxic level of yeah. stress that can consume you. But what I also want you to consider is the added stress and shame and mental beatdown that you add on top of that reality doesn't help you pay your bills either. 100%. And so whether you are at a point where you've been wildly successful, but you're deeply unhappy, or you're at a point where you're having trouble paying your bills, cultivating a sense of peace inside yourself and assuredness that you can rely on yourself a steadiness mm -hmm. so that the world around you yeah. does not trip you up emotionally, that that is a superpower. That's mm -hmm. part of this greatness mindset that you're talking about. And Lewis has been on this profound healing journey. And so I want to, I want to go yeah, there. The game is healing. The, the game ga is healing. The game is healing in order to, you know, create anything in my mind. What does know? healing even mean, Lewis? I used to feel a lot of pain in my chest or tightness in my throat or disturbance in my stomach. I used to feel 
Like I couldn't sleep at night because I was up for an hour and a half, like ruminating or thinking and stressed. Mm -hmm. I used to be very reactive when my nervous system was triggered. Yep. I feel like that's, that's the opposite of healing. You know, healing is learning how to overcome all those things. So your nervous system is in peace when there's chaos around you. It doesn't mean I'm not going to feel triggered momentarily or feel like, oh, I don't like that or react to right. a thing or feel disturbed, but it's learning how to recognize it much faster and from a place of integrating healing and lessons, be able to respond differently when there's a disturbance as opposed to based on a wound. So most of my life, I was just reacting, responding based on wounds that I was unaware of. Or maybe I was aware of them, but I was just like, this is who I am. Don't mess with me. You know, oh, like, how many this of is, us have heard that? Yeah, this is, don't try to change me. Don't mess with me. Like, this is who I am. I'm fine. Right. You know, there's nothing wrong with me. Like, this, like, reaction. And um, Can you give people a sense that don't know? You've wrote about this extensively mm-hmm. in your New, New York Times bestseller, The Mask of Masculinity. Um, and you talk about this on your podcast, but can you give people a sense of some of the things that needed healing? So I'm going to just point out one of them. So being in a classroom where you cannot do cognitively because of a learning Mm -hmm. difference, you and I both have dyslexia, yours seems to be probably more profound than mine. Um, Even reading my own words, I trip up sometimes because I still have to practice like reading slowly and with a cadence. So what was that like for me to pass the book to you? I I was even going to say it. I was like, you know, this is like, I get to practice my insecurities all the time. I have to read on a teleprompter all the time. And I'm always like, just take a deep breath and know that I just know that I'm not going to be the best reader in the world. And that's okay. And so I just say, you know, I accept myself when I stutter. I accept myself when I stumble. I accept myself when I have to redo a sentence over and over again, because I wasn't able to see what's coming next, and mm. it just didn't sound right. It probably takes me twice as long to read my audiobook as you do, right? <laughs> and uh, and I, I, but I used to hate myself for that and beat myself up, and now I accept and love myself. And when I do that, I notice I read a lot better, and I flow a lot better. And it's the, you know, it's not perfect or anything, but I'm like, it's just I save a lot more time. I'm more relaxed. And as opposed to I used to, to beat myself up and be the biggest critic, now I'm just a positive self-coach in those moments. I'm just like, oh, you got this. Oh, it's okay. You know, you'll Can we it. unpack that for a minute? Because mm-hmm. I think it's a really relatable example. So every one of us has something that we're self-conscious about mm-hmm. or that we beat ourselves up about, whether it's our weight mm-hmm. or like you know something about our skin or our hair or our height or... You know, for you, you mentioned stuttering and stumbling and reading out loud or being slower at something. And you so beautifully talked about how you used to just beat the hell out of yourself. You hated that about yourself. How do you or how did you, Lewis, learn Hmm. to accept something you hated? How do you do that? There's many different modalities of what worked for you of healing, right? And I and I feel like over the last ten years, I was telling your husband Chris about this. I was like, because he was asking me about all these different things, right? And I was like, I feel like I've tried lots of different stuff because I got a lot of work to do. So I'm willing to <laughs> I'm willing to dive in and like take a look in the mirror and say, well, tell me what to do, and I'll try it. Um, and I did workshops, emotional intelligence leadership training workshops 10 years ago that helped me unlock and open up about sexual trauma. Mm -hmm. That was kind of stage one. It was one of my biggest shames that I didn't want to talk about. I didn't want anyone to know about because if anyone knew that I've been sexually abused, I thought no one would ever love me. 
So it was a huge protection that I was, a shield that I was putting up on myself to show people that I was strong, to show people that I was confident, to show people that I was, that no one could mess with me in sports or whatever it might be. And that, that supported me in accomplishing certain results, but hurt me in feeling loved and harmony and alignment within myself. Mm. And so it was exhausting. It's draining. It's an emotional train wreck because you're kind of living a double life. Inside, you know the truth. Outside, others don't know the truth about you. So you're hiding something. And, you know, I want to point something out about this because we've been doing a whole series on trauma and nervous system repair. And you talked earlier about how your lived experience, even though you're super successful on the outside, is like not in the stomach, tightness in the chest, something in the throat. You don't even have to be conscious about the fact that you're hiding this thing. It's not like you're walking right. around thinking about the fact that you were a victim of sexual abuse. It's that it's stored in your body. Yeah. So your body operates in a state all the time as if something bad's about to happen. I wasn't even like aware that I wasn't telling people. I was just like, you know, trying to block it and, and, and cover it up constantly. Yeah. But it was always in my mind. Mm. Like maybe every few days the memory would come up in some way. It was just like a movie that was repeating on, on repeat. And when I did this first workshop, a lot of things started to happen in my life where I was having breakdowns, intimate relationship, business partnership, just life. I just felt like, man, stuff is breaking down all around me. Although I'm successful, why are all these things breaking down? I'm the common denominator. A friend of mine was like, I actually got in a fight on a basketball court. This was kind of the tipping point where I was the perfect storm. And a friend of mine who was there was like, I don't want to hang out with you anymore if you're going to keep reacting in this way. Because I was the same fun-loving guy, but when I would get triggered, I was like, this reaction would come out of me. Like you get like super physical, like a linebacker kind I would of just thing? like def try to defend myself energetically. But if someone was physically trying to attack me, which in a basketball game is kind of a, uh, you know. Isn't that part of the game? Yes, but I would take it so personally. So when there was a cheap elbow, I'd be like, turn around and be like, let's go, let's fight. So I didn't have the filter because I felt like someone was always trying to abuse me or take well, advantage of me. Because they had. Exactly. And so this was kind of the, the, the last thing that happened. I got in this fight and my friend was like, hey, I don't want to hang out with you. I don't want to play basketball anymore with you if you're going to react like this. And it was a tendency that was happening for many months more and more until this like fist fight came Fist about. fight? Fist fight. On yeah. a basketball court? On a pickup basketball <laughs> court. Yeah. There was no stakes on the line. It was just like a friendly game in the mean streets of Beverly Hills. Yeah. <laughs> and um, How old and were I'm, you? I was 10 years ago. Yeah. So how old are you ago. now? 39. 39. So, so when you're 29 years old. And I remember there was a police station right across the street. It was in West Hollywood. It was 10 minutes away from here. And um, and I remember going home after this. Well, I remember seeing the guy's face when it was done and being really scared of what I had done. Meaning? Now, he, his he, face he... didn't look good. I'll just say that. And he And I always had this rule that I'll never hit someone unless they hit me first. That was kind of like my thing, but I'll, I'll freaking get in someone's face. I'll talk trash, whatever. But I was like, I'll never hit someone unless they hit me first. He ended up headbutting me because we were like kind of in each other's faces and he headbutts me. And then I kind of just go blank and yeah. I, and I turn into like the incredible Hulk yeah. in that moment. Like this guy hit me, there's no rules. And, um, and afterwards I had so much adrenaline 
because uh, I don't think I'd gotten in an actual fight since I was like 13, right? So I played football to get my aggression out, but then no, I no longer was able to hit people legally, right? <laughs> and so this was a point where this happened, and I remember going home and looking at myself in, in the mirror and being like, who are you? I did not recognize myself. And I really, was really kind of like shaking because I was like, what am I doing? Like, who am I? What are you, why are you reacting? I always started to like ask myself this question. And I remember thinking like, I have too much to lose now mm. to allow my anger, my fears, my wounds to be in control. Yeah. Because I had built a business and I was like, what if someone, I don't know, what if someone had a knife or a gun or whatever, like, or I injured myself in a worse way or I hurt someone else? Like, what if something really bad happened? He was ended up fine. We were fine. But I remember thinking, oh, okay, this could really get out of control. And this was nothing. This was like a little incident. And I was so reactive. So that's what got me down the path of saying, let me take a look in the mirror. I asked some friends for some, some suggestions on what I could do. I went to some workshops. The first workshop I went to got me to a vulnerable enough state to talk about sexual abuse for the first time. That out loud? Out loud. First wow. time I spoke the words. What was that like? The most terrifying moment of my life to be honest because i never thought that this had happened to any other man so you have to imagine if you think that not what has happened to you has never happened to anyone else then you think you are wrong broken and the worst human being alive yeah. now that's just was my interpretation right and i got to a place during this workshop where it was a five-day experience and a lot of people were going through about it's a leadership workshop, but we have to go into our past and mend things to get clear on what we want for the future and then move towards the future, right? Yeah. So it's kind of like a process, a journey of your personal life to help you have more tools of leadership. Yeah. And at one point during this workshop, people were open up about different stuff. It was a vulnerable state at this time, but it was like after the third day. The trainer goes, okay, we've gone into these different past experiences parents and this and that and breakups we're not talking about the past anymore we're moving on we're going into what you want to create for the future like we're done we're moving forward but if there's anything you haven't shared now is the time like if there's anything you haven't shared from the past now is the time or we're moving on and you're going to miss your moment for whatever reason that voice came back out and was like Okay, and during this time, I started to address all these different things from my childhood. My parents, you know, uh, they probably should have never been married in the first place, but they yep. went through a divorce eventually and just kind of the fear of their arguments and fights mm -hmm. as a, a young child. That was stressful. My brother went to prison when I was eight for four and a half years. Uh, so I didn't have friends for four and a half years because in a small town, uh, you know, the moms wouldn't let their kids hang out with me. So there was just a lonely time and it was traumatic to go to a prison every weekend and watch your brother in a, in a room full of convicts and their families. It was a traumatic experience for the whole family. Um, you know, being picked on in school and special needs classes and all these different things, breakups, heartbreak. I was like, okay, I've already addressed this stuff. I feel fine here. But what about this thing that I've been thinking about almost every day for 25 years? And whatever inside of me just said, you have to stand up. And I remember just like standing up and getting out of my seat and walking to the front of the room. 
And there's probably, I don't know, 30, 40 people in the room were kind of like in a semicircle, and I stand up. And this was interesting because I couldn't look anyone in the eyes. I stood up, I like looked down at the carpet, went in front of the room, and just said, when I was five, I was sexually abused by the babysitter's son. And I went through the entire story of the entire event. It was almost like I was in the bathroom again, reliving it. And I shared this, but I could not look up because I was so ashamed of what I was saying. And I was just thinking to myself, man, everyone's laughing at me. Everyone's like, you know, thinking I'm a loser. Everyone thinking I'm unlovable. All these things came up for me. And I was like, my life is over. It's essentially what I was thinking. And I remember sharing this, staring down, like walk through the whole thing. Um, and somehow I was like semi-calm. I was like standing there just maybe because I wasn't looking in anyone's eyes, mm. but I was pretty calm and able to just get through it. I wasn't crying or anything. I was just getting so listen, we all know life is full of yada yada, like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print. And I know you've dealt with yada yada before, like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all. Or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else. And yes, it is possible to outsmart yada yada, like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is already Already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've learned the hard way that constantly holding on to your emotions and repeatedly choosing to not talk about your feelings will only make you feel worse and worse. And up until about 10 or 11 years ago, I was afraid to talk about my trauma that I experienced. And I know we all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. But therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to fit your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Lewis today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash L-E-W-I-S. Through it. And then I went and sat down and there was two women <laughs> sitting on either side of me when I sat down. And I remember just looking at one of them and she's like weeping and the other one is like holding me, they're crying. Now it's like 25 years of pain just kind of erupts and I start crying and they're holding me, they're, they're all kind of like jumping and shaking like, you know, they're crying uncontrollably and I'm just like, I have to leave. So I run out of the room. It was in kind of a conference room of like a hotel, run out of the hotel to get some fresh air and I'm in the back alley behind this hotel by LAX and there's a wall. I kind of just put my hand against the wall and I'm just like sobbing. And a few minutes later, I feel a touch on the back of my shoulder and it's this guy who's bigger than me. He's probably in his late fifties and he turns me around. He's crying. He looks me in my eyes. He says, you're my hero. You're my hero. I will follow you anywhere. I vividly remember this. He goes, I have three kids. I've been married for 20 something years. My wife doesn't know, my kids don't know. This happened to me when I was 11. This happened to me multiple times. 
and I've lived with shame and doubt and insecurities my whole life. Thank you for being the first person to open up in front of me. You're gonna give me the courage now to go and tell my wife. Wow. All these men from the room started coming out. There was only a two or three guys who had been sexually abused that told me that for the first time, by the way. They hadn't opened up either to anyone in their lives. And then other guys were just like, I've never heard anything like this. This happened to me. I feel really insecure about this in my life or this thing I'm ashamed of, right? right. And it was so powerful because I was thinking, all these, everyone's going to make fun of me. But in fact, it made them trust me and respect me more and love me more. The thing that was the scariest thing for me was actually the thing that, that brought me closer to people. Mm. And, and people could actually see me for the first time fully, at least in that regard. Um, and it was that was the start of 10 years of lots of different healing modalities, which I'm happy to talk about some of them, but it was uh, that was the start of processing the healing. The next step is integrating the healing, which is where all the work is. Yeah, that's true. Well, we will get you back to go in and talk about all the modalities, but I want to just say that this is yet another one of those areas where you and I have a parallel path because I had a very similar thing happen to me when I was in the fourth grade and I buried it. Mm. And I knew in the back of my mind, somewhere in the back of my mind, that something had happened. And it wasn't until I was at a leadership seminar. Really? That was in the you started personal... Up. No, well, what happened is somebody else shared. And they uh. shared about how it had ha they had been molested and they had forgiven their parents and forgiven the babysitter, mm -hmm. but they couldn't forgive their sister because while this was happening to them in the bathroom, similar to their story, their sister was watching TV. Oh. And as she said that, I had a very vivid memory of the moment that it happened to me in the middle of the night. And when I kind of rolled over, cause I you know, was scared that this person was on top of me, the first person I saw was my brother. Cause he was sleeping on the bunk bed, like right across. And I thought, I don't want this person to hurt him. So I was just like quiet, oh, wow. like a mouse, but it was the sibling connection. And it, like you, just flooded in, wow. and I was like, I got to share this. And for a minute, I questioned whether or not it had happened. Mm. And it was, was it a bad dream, or was it a reality, yes. or was, did I block it? Was it real? Yeah. Yes, but that voice, that knowing, that flood of emotion yeah. made me, like you, say, I, I, I just have to say it out loud. And, and, wh and what happened when you said it out loud? Oh, I just collapsed sobbing same mm. thing as you like so many people come up i mean it is such unfortunately a very common story one in four women one in mm. six mm -hmm. men have experienced something like that but it's in the either the the denying that it's real and questioning it or the shame that you feel around it as if somehow it's your fault yeah or it somehow is damaging to you and carrying that inside which really is damaging. And mm. so I think that it's an it's an important thank you first of all for sharing mm. that story. Yeah, of course. Um and I think speaking the things that you hate or are ashamed of is a form of acceptance. Mm -hmm. Because if you keep this stuff silent, if you're unwilling to talk about it, it's going to continue to haunt you. And so you know, you've been on this incredible mm -hmm. journey of healing. What has it taught you about greatness? You can't be great without 
having peace and without going on a healing journey, in my mind. You can accomplish a lot. You can achieve a lot. You can get a lot of awards and make a lot of money. But I feel like if you feel like you don't are still aren't enough, then you're not great, I don't think. Because really it's the so. enough, the thing that you're chasing is outside of you. It is outside of you. And again, I was chasing them to feel better about myself, to feel like, okay, I matter and I have value because I didn't believe I had value. And I think um, once you believe you have value, then you're creating from a space of love and win-win and service as opposed to I need to do this for me and look good and fill something up inside of me. You're doing it from a more healing journey uh, place and then you're able to give more. You're able to create in a better place. So a lot of my life was doing things to prove people wrong mm. that I felt abused, abandoned, made fun of by. It's like, well, let me go make, create, succeed to prove people wrong. Mm. So when I would lose, I was a bad loser because I was like, oh, I didn't prove them wrong. I lost. They were right. And so it was just a different energy of creation. It's the second most powerful fuel is the fuel of anger and not enoughness. Right. You can go nonstop for years trying to prove your enoughness from that state. But it is exhausting energy. It's draining. It's like you feel like, oh, what was the point of this? So many times I accomplish things in sports, biggest dreams after 10 and 15 years of thinking about them, working hard and accomplishing it and feeling like, so angry after I accomplished it because I thought I would feel something different mm. and I still didn't feel good enough. So I was like, I need to go create more and accomplish more. And then I would do it. And I was like, why am I still feeling alone inside? It's because I didn't have a good relationship with me internally. And once I started to shift that, I just feel such a good sense of peace. And because I have a meaningful mission that is not about me, it's about others as well. And you so talk when, about mission in this book. And I a think lot. that's the foundation. It's like getting clear on a meaningful mission that How is not about. How do you do about, that? Uh, I mean, it's I mean, a, you've got you've got the framework in here, yeah, but but I'm, I'm trying. I'm thinking, Lewis, about the person. It depends on the season of your life. And again, if you are trying to pay your bills, you can't think about a meaningful mission. You got to think about protecting yourself, safety, and getting to a place of well, that's financial a meaningful stability. mission, right? And that is a meaningful mission for this season, right? Okay. So when I was on my sister's couch, that's all I could think about was like, how can I make enough money? to get off the couch. Great. And so that was the mission for that season. But once you complete that, you gotta think about something bigger that includes others, right? And so I was still including others in that by adding value to people in order to get money from them, right? Essentially, I'm gonna give you a service, I'm gonna help you, and you're gonna pay me. Right. So I'm helping them overcome a problem. And I was using my, my passion and my power to solve a problem. And that's what I started to do. And then I started to, once I, once I overcame that mission or accomplished it, I was like, okay, now I can see a little bit further. Now what do I want to create? And the same thing happened with the School of Greatness. Once now, so they, hold on. I just yeah. want for, to tell everybody. So Lewis basically, in looking for a job, figured out how LinkedIn worked. Exactly. And then realized, oh, whoa, I can teach other people uh -huh. how to use LinkedIn like a pro. And so he literally became wildly successful being an expert on monetizing on and utilizing yeah. LinkedIn and one platform and tell everybody how you came up with the school for greatness idea. So after, I don't know, four or five years of, of kind of teaching LinkedIn and then expanding it into just social media and marketing in general and courses and stuff like that, I realized, okay, I had enough money for maybe two years to live. Oh, that's and pretty good, Lewis. When you're broke and poor, 
uh, at that least from my like point of view, the holy grail. Uh, when you're broken poor, from my point of view, I didn't spend anything. I was like, I just need to stack everything because yep. I was in scarcity mode. Yep. So I wasn't like spending anything. So I had enough, and I also didn't have a car. You know, I was living in like an apartment that was only four hundred ninety-five dollars a month. I was like living in the the lowest amount I could. I was like taking trains places, not like flying anywhere. I was like, how can I this save? This is Lewis the Squirrel. Yes, yes I was in his nuts, man. Trying to get Here nuts we go. Everywhere. That's put right. Him in, put him in my back pocket. <laughs> and um, and once I realized, oh, I can actually like, I'm surviving now, right? I'm I'm thriving. I'm surviving. I got out of this kind of like scarcity mentality. Yeah. I was able to think beyond that. I was able to think beyond this like need to like just make money really quickly. And um, I realized I didn't want this anymore. This season of life, I was like, I don't want to do what I was doing in this business anymore. So I sold it to a business partner that I had. And I was like, okay, I've got about two years of cash if I don't make any money to survive. Yep. This is the exact moment when I got into the fight in the basketball court. I was going through a breakup in a relationship that I moved to LA for, and uh, I was just having breakdowns in life. And so I was literally stuck in traffic in LA a little over 10 years ago. Tuesday, next week, is my 10-year anniversary for my podcast. No way. Tuesday, next week. So a little over 10 years ago, maybe 10 years and three months ago, I'm stuck in LA traffic. All this stuff had just happened. And I'm just thinking to myself, man, I don't have it all figured out. I thought I did. I thought my ego knew it was right. Yeah. I thought I, you know, accomplished stuff and this and that and was featured in the White House and all these other things. I was like, man, I should be the man, but I feel like a loser. And I was stuck in LA traffic. We were literally on the 405 and um, we were not moving. And all these people around me in cars stopped, were screaming and honking and flipping each other off. <laughs> and I'm honking and I'm like, <laughs> Man, I'm stuck, we're stuck, everyone's stuck. And I was just like, okay, huh. If people are stuck in traffic and they're taking them so long to get places, what if I could offer value and solve a problem for them to get unstuck? This was literally what I was going through. And I was like, I need the solution myself. And I just started hearing about, hearing about podcasting. This was um, 2012. I just started to hear like, just whispers, you know, whisper, podcasting, what is this thing, right? And I was like, I literally called two friends in the car. It was a long drive, being stuck. I called two friends. I go, I know you have a podcast. I just saw you launch Who this thing. Who were they? Pat Flynn and my friend Derek Halpern. Okay. Called them both. And uh, I go, tell me about the podcasting thing. And they were like, I love it. It's the coolest thing ever. The audience I'm connecting, the building, the relationship. It's the best thing ever. I don't make any money, but it's the best thing ever. <laughs> and I was like, okay, cool. And I was like, man, I think I could do this because I had started to just interview people for myself, mm. recording it for me, like business leaders and sports athletes and all these people for years leading up to that. That's how I got in kind of the LinkedIn space. I would network with people. I'd interview them. And I just was like, man, I've learned so much from these people, which got me here in my business results. So let me take it a step farther. And they were both telling me like, well, you should just make it about like marketing and entrepreneurship because that's what you're doing. Right. I was like, ah, it just doesn't resonate with me. I feel like I'm supposed to do something more. They're like, well, don't go too broad because it probably won't work. Oh, you mean like greatness? Yeah. And I was like, (laughs) and 
who are you? You're still just like getting started. You're like an internet marketer. You don't have a big audience. Like you can't go too broad. You just beat somebody up on a basketball court. I know, right. Like you're you're breaking down everywhere in your life. And I was just like, (laughs) again, that voice kept saying like, I just feel like this is what I want to step into though. Mm. And even if it fails, I'm going to make it an experiment. I'm going to do it for one year, one episode a week for a year and just see if I like it. So I discovered the mission by exploring something, by being curious and trying it. And I gave myself some parameters. I'm not going to try to make money. Again, at that time, I had money for two years. Got it. Some people may not have that luxury when they're figuring this out in terms of making money. You might have to make money really quickly. If I needed to make money, I could have. Well, you also don't have to go all in. Exactly. What I loved about what you said, did did you hear what Lewis said? Experiment. He gave himself permission to experiment with something for a year. Number two, he took the pressure off and said, I'm not going to make this experiment generate money. Mm -hmm. And so if you can, whether you're on the couch or you're working a job, if you can give yourself the grace of an experiment Mm -hmm. and take the pressure off of money, you now are walking in the footsteps of greatness here. Mm -hmm. And so you set out on this experiment and you didn't know about how to do it. I you have no two clue. friends that... I had an iPhone that I used to record in the beginning. I had no clue what I was doing. I was, you know, I was trying to do what I thought I was supposed to do. I was just like trying stuff. And my it's funny because my assistant listened to the first episode like last week. She goes, I went back and listened to the first episode. She goes, you're a completely different person. And I'm like, because it was more about success, right? Mm-hmm. It was more about like achievement and winning and like results. Oh, I have to go back and listen now. It's like, you, Lewis. We right. might have to pop in a little right. audio of Lewis the, introducing Exactly. <laughs> then after, then I went to this workshop a few months later. Oh, the I one where you opened spoke up for about, the first time? Yeah, about sexual abuse and all these things. And I actually, this is so funny, I actually learned the concept about no one wins. You don't win unless everyone wins around you. You know, that was like, what? That concept didn't make sense to me as an athlete. I was like, no, there was one winner. Everyone else must lose. Otherwise, you're the loser, right? That was kind of like the mentality that was I was trained with. Right. It was the programming that I was conditioned to have. And this workshop taught me that you don't win unless everyone wins. You embody that, dude. And it, and it is about, and it, thank you. And it's about, it doesn't mean, you know, Winning could look differently for everyone around you, but there must be like a win-win experience. Otherwise, your win doesn't mean as much if if others aren't improving and growing and succeeding in whatever it is they're doing as well, right? It doesn't mean it has to be equal winning or something like that. And that's why I was like, yeah, that's right. This this podcast can't be about like results. It should be about elevating others and about improvement and how we can all win together. Hmm. And that's when it started to shift and I started to like, be a little softer and be less like, let's just get results, you know? And, um, and it was beautiful. So there's there so much that happened in that first year of the experiment where I started to like try something and it, and it wasn't perfect the first hundred times. I, I just said, how can I make it better every time? How can I listen to the feedback and make it better every time? And, um, and how can I find my voice in this process? You know, even if I'm not comfortable sharing my voice, how do I find it by practicing it? Mm. And after the first year, I remember um, being like, man, I just really loved this and enjoyed it. And so 10 years later, here we are. I still love it. still enjoy it. Wow. When you think back on literally probably thousands of people that you've interviewed, mm-hmm. what's one interview that you reflect on the most? 
I was going to say Kobe because he was my favorite interview. But when you said this, um, there was an interview the first year that I had with a guy named Chris Lee, who is the actual coach and trainer of the workshop I went to when I opened up for the first time. Really? He had such a massive impact on me from that experience that I ended up hiring him as a coach for a couple of years just to like coach me personally. Mm. And I had him come on the show and I had him put me through, well, I guess he put me through it, but I asked him about like, I was single at the time. I go, how do you find the dream like partner? And he put me through a guided meditation where he had me close my eyes and he like walked me through a scenario and a scene of my future self. He said, I want you to imagine waking up next to this person. I want you to imagine what they look like, what they sound like. I want you to imagine what you, when you open the windows, where you are in the world, what your view is. I want you to imagine the feeling, the experience you're having with this person. And um, the reason I'm talking about that is because I said to myself during that, my eyes were closed, I was like, <laughs> I don't know if this was weird or not, but I was like, I wake up next to the woman of my dreams, and when I open my eyes, she looks at me, and she's smiling at me every morning. And I remember saying that. I don't know why that came to me, but I was like, she, she looks at me, she's smiling at me, because she's so grateful and happy that we're in this relationship together. And essentially, eight years later, I'm in a relationship with a person that wakes up, that literally opens her eyes and looks at me and smiles. And this is no joke. It happens every day. She looks at me, she hugs me. Some days she wakes up crying, I'm not kidding, because she's just a grateful human being. Not just because of like, I'm in her life, but she's just a happy person. And I dreamt of this. And so for me, that was a powerful, powerful episode because I had two other relationships before her and after this conversation. Those, those things didn't happen. And I realized that it only happened the moment I started to fully heal a lot of the emotional things that I still wasn't ready to face in intimacy. Mm. So I healed one element, but not all the other elements. And it wasn't until I, I literally, there was a pain in my chest for still for years from other things, not the sexual abuse pain, because I could talk about that freely and be right. at peace. But in other things that I still wasn't willing to face, and it wasn't until I faced those things two years ago, there was a pain in my chest for many years that would come and go. It disintegrated after about five months of intensive therapy, integration, healing. It finally disintegrated in my chest, and I felt this ball of pain go throughout my body into like complete freedom. And it hasn't come back since. Wow. It took five months of intense reflection, exercises, practicing of healing the nervous system mm -hmm. to where that went away. Mm -hmm. That is literally a month or two later, I met her. Wow. And it's been a game changer ever since. Have you talked publicly about what that thing was that you faced? I just started, I haven't really talked about it publicly. I just started kind of telling people. Is there such a thing as a traveler, not a Delta? Because we know on one flight, Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. While on the flight after, 8C is occupied by Jen, whose favorite snack is tea. That's why we provide fast, free Delta Sync Wi-Fi available for SkyMiles members. Because at Delta, we know. Refill? Everyone flies their own way. Delta. Keep climbing. Free Wi-Fi available on most domestic flights. Terms of use apply.
sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Because I don't know if other people feel a pain in their chest. I don't know if, if you've ever felt like a ball that's kind of like this, not palpitations, but just kind of a nagging pain. I think people feel the, I feel it more kind of like right above the stomach. Yeah. That's sort of where my, and I know when it's coming because it hits the ankles first and then this clenches. Yep. Like wobbly legs or something? No, no. like I feel literally, the t- when I get triggered, I literally feel it start. And it comes to your stomach. Yeah, but I think you want to know why. It's because that's how the person approached me. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah, I... Because it was used to be the throat and the chest for me. Mm-hmm. I just feel like I couldn't speak. Yeah. And there was like a pain here. And I was just like, <sighs> it wasn't like I felt like I was having a heart attack or anything like that, but it's just like a nagging pain. Yeah. And it would come and go. And I couldn't figure out how to get rid of it or how to like eliminate it. And it just, I went to five months of intensive every week therapy, sometimes five, six hours on Saturdays, where I was just like, I'm a maniac on a mission to create peace, clarity, and freedom. The first day I stepped into therapy with the, my coach, I call her an emotional coach because I think we should all have one. She said, what's your intention for starting this process? I said, I want peace, clarity, and freedom because hmm. I didn't feel like I had e- any of those. Can I take a guess at what your biggest block was? Sure. It was an inability to even allow love in. Is that what it was? <sighs> I don't know if that's what it was. Maybe, but it was my inability to not abandon myself. What does that mean for somebody who's never heard that term? So it was my inability to, to not abandon myself in intimacy with one person, the person that I was choosing to be in a committed relationship with. Because I wouldn't abandon myself in other areas. Mm. I would stand up for, I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Oh, for you like a nice guy doormat type in relationships? I was more trying to buy peace so whenever my relationship, what uh, oh. relationships in the past would try to, would be upset at me. Yeah. You didn't do this. Uh, I'm sorry. Okay, I'll go do it now. Yeah. Whenever there was disturbance emotionally. Yes. You were the environment, or they were screaming at me, or they were cold shoulder, or they wouldn't speak to me. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't like this feeling, and so I didn't know how to navigate my inner world when that would happen. I didn't know how to be peaceful under chaos emotionally. So I would do things to buy peace. I would say, okay, I'll stop doing this. Even though I don't want to stop doing something, yeah. I'll stop doing it to make you feel comfortable. Yeah. Okay, I'll give in here. Okay, I'll, I'll come home five hours early. Okay, I won't go on that trip because you don't feel comfortable with me going alone. See, I don't think people understand how much men struggle with this. That, that no, I, I mean it. Like you're, you, This is why I said you remind me a tremendous amount in mm. ways of Chris. Mm-hmm. Same thing, like just would shut down, yeah, and or give in, or, or whatever, give in, yeah. and not capable of expressing what he needed because his experience as a kid was it didn't matter anyway. Exactly, and a lot, a lot of times, you know, in general, a lot of men were never trained on how to navigate uncomfortable emotions through their highest selves. They would navigate it through their ego self which is to defend, protect, and show that everything's okay. 
And that works in some cases, but not in every case. And I think I didn't have the tools, the training, the knowledge, the experience, the wisdom on how to navigate stressful emotions in love, in an intimate, loving relationship. Mm. I could do it in business and sports and what other things. What was it modeled for you? Was it modeled for little? me? Yeah, it was constant. It was a constant low-level stress and like resentment from my parents of each other, which yeah. made me always like, ah, what's going to happen, right? And they loved me, and I, and I knew they loved me, but it was, I knew they also didn't love each other. Yeah. And so that was stressful. Um, and so I didn't know how to how to be with a woman who was like, you can't do this, screaming at me, don't do this. I don't like when you do this. This is not okay, blah, 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 blah. Because what they are saying is you're not enough. And I don't accept you for who you are, Lewis. Mm. So I didn't accept myself for who I was. I, I, knew, I knew I wasn't enough, that's how I thought. So I said, I'm gonna do what's gonna make her feel like I'm enough for her. Right. And after a year, two years, three years of doing that and just giving in and giving in and giving in, you fully lose yourself. Yes. You lose all your, you, you lose who you are. And then you get resentful, you get frustrated, you get angry. So I lacked the emotional ability to say no. And if you don't love me and accept me and you want to walk away, that's okay. And I lacked the emotional ability to, um, to just be okay with me walking away from something as well. And that's why when I met Martha... Uh, which you've met her oh, a couple she, times now. She smiles at you all the time. I had a I had a, a fully different experience because be you were different. Because I was completely different, and and I just told her like straight up, I was like, "This is my values. This is who I am, and I'm never gonna abandon myself for anyone. Mm -hmm. You, this, that, it doesn't matter. Like I'm just never gonna abandon myself. Now, it doesn't mean I'm not going to be a flexible human being and supportive in all these other ways, but I'm not gonna give up who I am to please one human being." Because they're not happy with me. Dude, if you could sum up the greatness mindset, I think you just did. There is this quote that goes viral all the time. I have no idea who said it first. But it's that thing that when you uh, put all your energy into trying to keep the peace with others, you create a war oh, inside yourself. That's and good. that is just what you described. Yeah. That tension in your chest, and so many of you listening listen with it, or that pit in your stomach, is the war mm -hmm. that Lewis just described with yourself. Because you're so much more focused and concerned with keeping the peace, making sure everybody else is okay. And until you invert that mm -hmm. and you focus on creating peace within yourself, that's it right there. And this is the moment when it unlocked. I remember now exactly what happens when this the pain went away because I was working on, because I didn't feel free, right? And so for five months of therapy going in every week, I was committed. I was like, I'm gonna figure this out and I'll go as long as it takes. Um, You're like a truffle pig for healing. I was like, He's got to root yeah, yeah. that thing out exactly. right there. I'm doing it, man. I'm and not going to stop until I'm healed. I, I love that. I'm I remember, proud of you. And, and healing is a journey. It's not an event that happens overnight. Right. There's an unlocking. There's an awareness moments. But then you've got to then PTSD occurs if you don't keep integrating it. Yeah. So it's a constant. So journey. what was that moment? So the moment was many because every time I would meet my coach, she'd say, "What's your intention? Peace, clarity, freedom." Okay. I didn't feel them. And so we were talking about what each one is. When do you not feel peace? When do you not feel clear? Freedom. And I was like, I've never felt free in my life. And a lot of it came down to modeling parents. They weren't free in their relationship. Mm. They both were resentful of being in the relationship. They both got married when they're 19. They didn't know any better. Yeah. They had four kids. They were working their butts off, just staying together. So I don't blame them, but they stayed together, not because they wanted to, because they didn't know how to 
how to navigate it as well. And so I saw them trapped. That was what it was for me. I saw them trapped and I was afraid to be trapped because I didn't want to repeat the feeling of them being trapped and feeling miserable a lot Mm -hmm. of the time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't want to create that in my life, but I didn't know how to stand up for myself. So that was the thing. And she just kept looking at me. It was kind of like a Goodwill hunting moment. She was like, you're not trapped. You're not trapped. You're not trapped. You're a free man. You're a free man. You're a free man. And I don't know what it it was just like all the months of like the practicing, the integrating, the the opening it back up, where it's just kind of like this like rush. It like finally connected to me that I am a free man, that I am not trapped. She was like, you can walk away at any moment. You can walk away at any moment. You don't have to keep working in this relationship. Like, especially since you're not married, you don't have to walk, you can walk away at any moment. But even if you are married, you're free. You can walk away. And that was the thing. I was like, I'm so afraid to get married because I don't want to have the shame of getting divorced mm. or the pain that caught that that happens after divorce that so many people go through. Well, it's so interesting. You were so focused on not feeling trapped that you actually trapped yourself. 100%. And it's so funny because I went to a prison almost every week for four and a half years and I watched men who were trapped behind bars. But some of them were emotionally free. Mm. Some of them were there, but I saw them free men. Like they were in a state of complete peace. Not all of them, but some of them had so much love in their hearts, were very kind and generous. They had their families around and they were free emotionally, but they just did something that put them in there physically. Mm. And I realized for so long that I was trapped emotionally, but free physically, and Mm. I didn't know how to break free. And that was the thing where I was like, I'm just sick and tired of feeling this pain. I'm sick and tired of repeating the pattern where I'm the common denominator in all these relationships, choosing them, staying in them, and not standing up for myself. So that was a massive game changer for me, was investing in emotional coaching, showing up consistently when I didn't want to, and doing the work. And I think a lot of us will get business coaches, career coaches, health coaches, but the emotional game is the game that most of us don't know how to master, and yet we we won't invest in coaching or find support. And I just think it's so crucial. Well, you write at the very end of your fantastic book, The Greatness Mindset. You're talking about unlock the power of your mind and live your best life today. You have a huge section in this on healing. A whole section is healing. I feel like you cannot no, be huge great. huge section. I feel like, like you can't be great unless you heal. The whole of the book yeah. is healing. Like, I feel like it's not even unlock the power of your mind. It's literally unlock the power of your mind, body, and spirit. Well, Integrate every, it all. Well, you know everything's a Trojan horse. So well, uh, that's you gotta, true. You gotta bring Nobody's going to pick are... up the healing book, so they're yes, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to exactly. buy the mindset book. But guys, if people understood the art of falling in love with yourself, the world would be a much better place. Mm-hmm. Lewis, the world is a much better place because you're in it. Mm, thank you, Mel. And I um, wanted to ask you, let's see if I can You're going to make me read one more thing? Or... I am not going to make you read one more thing, especially now that I know uh, I am that, happy that was to a read. trigger for you. No, I'm happy to. Give it to me. You I did get fantastic. Um, so first of all, everybody, please go get the book. I'm not done asking Lewis questions, but please, please, please support the man that has supported all of our greatness for the last 10 years. Um, you will love this. And uh, it's the greatness mindset. And so I wanted to close by just saying, I want you to imagine that it's your last day on earth. Mm -hmm. And you can only leave the world with three truths, three lessons Mm -hmm. that you want to impart on the world. 
What are they, Lewis? <clears throat> you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. Again, if, if we understood that and embodied it and truly believed it, then life is just a much better place. And what is your definition of greatness? For me, it's going on a journey to discover your unique gifts and talents. And in that discovery, figuring out what your dreams are. And on the path of going after your dreams, making the maximum impact on the people around you. For me, that's greatness. Wow. And you embody it. That's sure. Thank you. You're welcome. Appreciate Thank it. you for being a part of my life. Thank you. Appreciate you. Oh, man. Well, and, you know, before I go, I just want to make sure that you hear Lewis and I tell you something, which is in case nobody else in your life tells you this today, I want to tell you that I love you. And I know, Lewis, you probably want to say the same thing. 100%. Yeah. I love you. And I believe in you and your ability to take absolutely everything you heard today from uh, Lewis and put it into practice in your own life. And um, not only develop the greatness mindset, but to go heal and to learn how to fall in love with yourself and use that transformation to change the world around you. Mm -hmm. I love you, Lewis. Love you too. Appreciate it, Mel. Thanks. <laughs> I hope today's episode inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a rundown of today's show with all the important links. And if you want weekly exclusive bonus episodes with me as well as ad-free listening experience, make sure to subscribe to our Greatness Plus channel on Apple Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please share it with a friend over on social media or text a friend. Leave us a review over on Apple Podcast and let me know what you learned over on our social media channels at Lewis House. I really love hearing the feedback from you and it helps us continue to make the show better. And if you want more inspiration from our world-class guests and content to learn how to improve the quality of your life, then make sure to sign up for the Greatness Newsletter and get it delivered right to your inbox over at greatness.com newsletter. And if no one has told you today, I want to remind you that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great. Is there such a thing as a traveler? Not a Delta, because we know on one flight, Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. While on the flight after, 8C is occupied by Jen, whose favorite snack is tea. That's why we provide fast, free Delta Sync Wi-Fi available for SkyMiles members, because at Delta, we know. Refill? Everyone flies their own way. Delta, keep climbing. Free Wi-Fi available on most domestic flights. Terms of use apply. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.